So I'm buying a home and the home that I'm interested in is vacant. Could I move into the property before closing? How does that work? Do I have to pay for the utilities and have insurance on the property if I move in before closing? Or how about this? The seller is elderly and wants to stay in the property after closing. They wanna have more time to move out. Should I charge the seller rent? How do I protect myself against liability and damage to the property? How long should I give the seller to get out of the house? We are going to answer these questions and more as we talk about possession day today, not the closing, there's a difference. I'm Eric Hutchinson and I'm the principal broker and owner of Hutchinson Realty. Welcome to episode 13 of Real Estate Talk for Northwest Arkansas. I have two of my favorite real estate colleagues with me today. So welcome friends. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell the listeners who you are? Hey guys, my name is Cole Eady. I'm a realtor here with Hutchinson Realty. I've been a realtor for almost a year now and I've lived in Northwest Arkansas for almost five years. Hey Cole. Hey, my name is Sandy Wellesley. I'm an executive broker here at Hutchinson Realty. And um, I have lived in Northwest Arkansas for 23 years now. Hey, Sandy. So good to see you guys again today. These poor realtors have to see me all morning long because on Tuesdays we have our sales meeting. So unfortunately, these two have to stay with me a little bit longer to do this podcast. I make it a requirement for them to stay here with me. Not really, but anyway, I'm very thankful that you guys stay here with me and do this. So Cole, give us the real estate weather report. What's going on with our housing inventory today? Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Eric. Well, as of today, June 13th, 2023, there are currently 1,502 homes for sale in Benton and Washington counties, which is an increase of our in- inventory woohoo, by 14 homes from last week when we had 1,488 homes. However, today, I'm only going to go over the six largest towns. Our inventories in the six largest towns have decreased by five homes to 922. So we're going to start first with Fayetteville. Fayetteville currently has 190 homes for sale, 67 are new, and 123 are resale. The median list price is $480,000, and the price per square foot is $209. Next, we will do Springdale. Springdale currently has 120 homes for sale, 39 are new, and 81 are resale. The median list price is $458,000, and the price per square foot is $196,000. Next, we will do Rogers. Rogers currently has 159 homes for sale, 31 are new, and 128 are resale. The median list price is $525,000, and the price per square foot is $215. Next, we will do Bentonville. Bentonville has 182 homes for sale, 70 are new, and 112 are resale. The median list price is $538,000, and the price per square foot is also $215. Next, we will do Centerton. Centerton currently has 99 homes for sale. 77 of those homes are new, and 22 are resale. The median list price is $429,000, and the price per square foot is $202. Next, we will do Bella Vista. Bella Vista currently has 172 homes for sale. 93 are new, and 79 are resale. The median list price is $409,000, and the price per square foot is $200. And with all six towns listed, 922 homes are for sale, 
377 of those are new and 545 are resale. The median list price is 475000 and the price per square foot is going at $205. Wow. Thanks, Cole, so much. Uh, I, you know, it's good that our total house count went up 14 whopping houses, but our, our six towns went down a little bit, you know, by five houses, but a decrease is a decrease. And I always hate to see that our inventories decrease because we have low inventories to begin with. I also noticed that our price per square foot is right or, is over $200 a square foot in every town except for Springdale. Springdale's at $196 per square foot. But it's unbelievable to me that that's our that's our median. So it's incredible that our median price per square foot's a $200 per square foot. I mean, so I've got a house that's listed right now and when they bought their house years ago, they paid $88 per square foot. 88 and now, you know, $200 per square foot is is the median. So it's just amazing that that is happening in Northwest Arkansas. So if you bought your home two years or more ago, I will tell you that you can get top dollar for your property. It's still a great time to, to list your house. But some of what impacts that is our interest rates. And Sandy's going to talk about our current uh, interest rates. So Sandy, tell us what the mortgage rates are going for right now. Absolutely. Um, and these mortgage rates are, uh, it, it makes a difference what your credit score is. The rates that I'm going to quote are based on a 740 credit score for the conventional loan, 680 for the FHA loan, and 700 for VA loans. And another factor that's going to um, make a difference is the loan amount. But in general, generally speaking, for a conventional 30-year fixed loan, you're looking at 7.25%, which is down a little bit from a couple of weeks ago. A conventional 15-year fixed is available at 6.5%, and an FHA and a VA 30-year fixed are both available at 7%, and that is a local lender um, current rates as of this morning, so... So as I always uh, tell my wife, and actually I don't tell my wife this because she does it on her own, but shop. Just because somebody has the the item that you're looking for doesn't mean that it's not cheaper somewhere else. And so I always recommend getting three bids or three estimates of interest rates and closing costs. Now, they're not going to be uh, you know a huge difference as far as the interest rates go, but sometimes closing costs can be considerably lower with one lender compared to the other lender. So, you know, talk to your realtor, talk to your lender, and always shop. I always tell my son, information is free. So, you know, try to get as much information as you can about those interest rates. So we've got an interesting topic today. We talked about this in our sales meeting as well, about possession date. Now, I think that there's a little bit of confusion, Cole, um, of the difference between closing. I mean, isn't possession closing? I mean, what's the difference between closing date and possession date? Go ahead. Thank you so much, Eric. Well, the closing date is the change of ownership. Possession date is when the buyer moves in. Hmm. And sometimes those can coincide, Correct. right? Yes, and probably sir. most of the time those coincide, but they don't always. So what on the contract, real estate contract, whenever a buyer is getting to the closing, they say, I'm going to close on July 30th of 2023. And then you go down and there's another item called possession. And then they've got three options. You got possession at closing, 
And then what are the other two? There's two other possession or two other options there. You have uh, prior to closing, which we call the early occupancy addendum we use. And there's also delayed possession, which is delayed occupancy addendum that we use for that. And the uh, prior to closing, the early occupancy would be if the buyer wanted to move in before the possession or the uh, the closing date, which means they would take possession. And then the delayed possession would be if the seller needed time to, after closing, they needed time to move out of their property. Right. And those scenarios happen not as often as, you know, closing and possession lining up, but sometimes the house is already vacant. Now let's talk about that for just a moment. We've got new construction and we've got resale homes, new construction, Part of the definition of something being new construction is the fact that no one has ever lived in the property. So you know, new construction means that it's never changed ownership and that the house has never been lived in. So whenever you're buying new construction, the house is empty. So Sandy, how likely is it that a builder is going to allow a buyer to move in prior to closing? Not very. How come? Um, it just doesn't happen a whole lot. You know, uh, there are issues with letting the buyer move in early. Um, there's, um, there's a host of things that you have to think about who has the insurance and will cover the property. If something happens, if a buyer moves in early, there are chances that they will start picking things apart or have buyer's remorse and realize that's not the home they want or whatever, and then want to move back out and not close. Um, it's just kind of a, a hairy situation really for everyone to deal with. It's not fun. And if I'm representing the seller, I ask them to not allow early occupancy. So I gave a definition of what new construction is. Mm -hmm. So it's not changed ownership. Right. And it's never been lived in. Correct. So as soon as a builder allows a buyer into the property, um, then that property is no longer new construction. And so if the buyer, for whatever reason, decides, maybe, and maybe it's a legitimate, maybe it's a health reason, maybe a spouse passes away or who knows. I mean, there may be a reason why the buyer says, I can't close now. They move out. That house is, even though it was built this year, it's no longer new construction. Someone has lived in that property. You cannot call it new construction. So that's in my opinion, one of the reasons why the builder is very cautious about letting a buyer actually occupy the property prior to closing because it changes their new construction into a resale home and they may not right. be able to get as much for the property. Not to mention all the stuff that Sandy said about damage and insurance and liability and all of those things. So anyway, so let's talk about early occupancy because I will tell you that that has happened several times in my 27 years of experience where the buyer, uh, the house was vacant. The seller had either had it as a rental or they've had it, maybe they've already moved out. They already found the house and they didn't need to sell their house first and they moved into their new house and now they're ready to sell their house and it's vacant, it's clean. The buyer says, hey, I sold my house or maybe this is their first time home and they, but they need to get out of their rental. And so now they need to, you know, they need, it takes them 30 days at least to close their loan. And so now they say, well, we don't have a place to live. We, why don't we just go ahead and move our stuff into this vacant 
resale home. So that would be a case where the buyer would say, I'd really like to move in early. So we call that early occupancy. And our contract says is there is an addendum that follows that follows the contract. So if the seller goes, yeah, we agree to that the, the, in our contract, it says C, early occupancy addendum, meaning that there's something attached to this contract and there's an addendum and we've got it here. And we're going to go over that with you a little bit because this may happen to you if you're a buyer and you say, Hey, uh, I just sold my house and I found the house that I want to move into, but now we've got a problem of occupancy. Maybe you need to get out of your property, uh, sooner than it, it takes to close a loan and you want anyway. So we're going to kind of go over some of the scenarios and what that means. I think Sandy said it best when it's hairy. Uh, that's a, a description that we use whenever something is sticky or uh, complex and uh, there could be some liability there. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So Sandy, let me have you comment on, um, so what kind of time frame uh, would we call this early occupancy? So the early occupancy addendum is used for anything that is under 60 days, which Frankly, when I heard 60 days, I thought, wow, that is a long time, even 30 days. Usually you're just dealing with a two to three day, you know, maybe a week, maybe. Generally, it's not it's not that long. But early occupancy addendum is specifically to be used if it is for 60 days or less. Right. In fact, at the very top of our addendum in all caps and bolded, anytime you see all caps, you guys know when you're texting, that means that they're screaming at you. So they're saying, this early occupancy addendum is not intended for anything over 60 days. <laughs> they're right. yelling at us saying, they mean do it. not do that. So, but let's say that there is a circumstance where the buyer says, I'd like to, you know, I need to, I need three months or six months and it doesn't happen often, but it could happen. What do you need instead of this addendum, Cole? Think about think about a rental. What do you oh, sign? You, you would need a lease. Agreement. Yeah, you need a lease agreement. So you need a lease agreement in order to do anything over sixty days, and this addendum would not apply. And a lease agreement has a whole slew of things that um, that the addendum does not have. Um, talking about. So anyway, um, if it's over sixty days, then it needs to be a lease. But like Sandy said, most of the time we're talking about days, and on our addendum it talks about rent per day, not per month. And they do that because it's usually not per month. It's usually two, three days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, but it's not. So anyway, so how do you guys think that we would determine? Uh, so the seller goes, Hey, the buyer wants in, you know, he wants in two weeks before we close. What kind of rent should I charge for that? How would you figure that out, Sandy? Um, I would just try and figure like, what is the, you know, you're basically looking at what is the essential house payment or comparable properties? What are they renting for? And then you prorate it per day. So, right. So you could, uh, the seller could say, hey, my, my monthly payment's this, and I'm just going to charge that. But right. that may or may not be the going rate. So it really True. depends upon the negotiations between the buyer and the seller. Does the seller want market value for rent? Or does the seller go, hey, I'm going to give the buyer a break, and if you cover my payment, then that's, that's fine. So it can be anything that the buyer and the seller agree to. However, 
you know, you can go to Zillow and say, I'm looking for a rental property that has three bedrooms, two baths, two car garage, 1500 square feet. And it's going to give you all the rentals and what their prices are. And you can do, anybody can do that. Or I can look in the multiple listing service and say, here's where houses that have 1500 square feet are priced. And it may be $1,500 a month, but whatever it is. And then you would divide that by 30 days and say, it's $50 a day or whatever it is. And so you, but you're charging by day. And so you're going to do that. So something, whenever you do a lease, and I don't know if you've ever leased coal or not, but uh, so you haven't, you've never leased a property. So you went right from mom and dad into getting married, huh? Okay. Yes, well, <laughs> so uh, what do you think? I think you know the answer to this. So what do you think if you are going to be a tenant and they're going to ask you, okay, here, I want you to sign this lease agreement, but besides the rent that you're going to pay, you're also going to have to pay a, do you know what, what you'd have to pay? Oh, you'd have to pay a deposit. Wouldn't yeah. You? So why? Why? Why would I need to do? I mean, I'm paying rent. Why do I need to pay a deposit? It's basically, in case you backed out of it, that way that the uh, the company uh, would get some type of compensation. I guess you could say. Well, the the owner, You're the right. owner would get. So if it's a lease, then what if what if the the tenant has pets? Right. right. And uh, I don't, well, I do have two cats and every now and then my cat has a hairball. And then sometimes um, he doesn't know the difference between the carpet and his litter box. And so sometimes there is an accident that happens and guess what? There's a smell, uh, there's a stain and these things happen. So um, if we're talking about a sale, not a lease, but a sale, the seller says, hey, what happens if you bring your pet into the property or you do damage to the property and then you decide, eh, I don't think I want this house. And that does happen. Sometimes the buyer gets buyer's remorse. Sometimes they don't realize that when they start living in the property that there are some things that maybe they, maybe there's a train that sounds the whistle at three o'clock in the morning and it's a mile away. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize there was a train. You know, whatever it is, they decide, you know what, we don't want this house. And they leave and then they leave the house in a condition that's not as good as it was whenever they moved in. So there's a deposit that needs to do that. So where does the deposit go? Sandy, where does the the buyer uh, the buyer's going to move into the property? They say we're going to stay for two weeks before closing, and we're going to put down a deposit. So, do they? Um, what? Who gets the deposit? Where does that go? Usually, I think that would go to a closing company instead of actually to the to the seller. Yeah. I think so is the way. Yeah. Well, it it could, or it could go directly to the seller. Which again, if I represented the seller, that would be a better case because anytime it goes and is held with a third party, in order for the third party, like a title company, to determine where that money is given, both parties have to agree with that. And it does, but the early occupancy addendum says that if there is no other. If, if they are entitled to that deposit back, there's no damage, et cetera, then that money will be credited to them at closing. So if the buyer closes, if the buyer goes ahead, you know, they two weeks early and they say, yep, everything's great, we're going to go ahead and close, then the buyer gets the credit for that deposit right. back. But it says here if buyer performs his obligations, then the early occupancy deposit will be credited back at closing. But if the buyer fails to perform this, uh, you know, under the terms of the contract, the seller seller may retain the early occupancy deposit and it, and it shall not prevent the seller from pursuing further claims or causes against the buyer. So I will tell you most of the time it goes directly to the seller on an early occupancy thing because the seller's like, Hey, you're, 
asking to move in before. There's a lot of risk involved here for me. And so the seller doesn't want someone else to decide where that money goes if the buyer doesn't close. And so typically um, the buyer is going to say, okay, I'm going to give you, and we call it a non-refundable deposit. If the buyer closes, they get the deposit back to them. But if they don't close, then it goes, the seller's already got it in their bank account. And so that's the safer way to do that. So anyway, let's, uh, let's ask another question. What about insurance and utilities? So the buyer, let's say the buyer wants to move in to the property prior to closing. Is there, do they need to do anything? Uh, is there any preparation? Do they need to, what, what do they need to do to, to make that happen? Cole? Yes, sir. Well, the buyer carries it, so they need to check with their, uh, for insurance, they need to check with their insurance company and the city for utilities. They need to make sure they get the water on, the uh, electricity on, and, and all that good stuff before they move in. So it's very similar to a lease, like if they, if they went to, if they were leasing an apartment or a duplex, they're going to actually put the utilities in their name. And, I mean, I would hope, and I don't know, I guess, what typically is done, but I would hope that a buyer would have insurance on their possessions because if there's a fire or something happens, then they would want compensation for their furniture, for all of their possessions. And so the the addendum says that the buyer will maintain, and if you represent the seller or if the seller needs to verify that they do have renter's insurance. So the property has not changed ownership. It is still the seller's property. The buyer's moving in like a tenant. They, I mean, they technically are a tenant. They're moving in and they need to have the utilities switched over to their name and they need to have renter's insurance. But what should both buyer and seller do? They should do, they should make a phone call to somebody. Right. Check with their insurance companies to see yeah. what's covered and what isn't. So what so. if the buyer trips and falls and breaks their arm or their neck or whatever, then there's a problem with that. Who takes the liability for that? You know, hopefully the buyer has really good health insurance, but you know as well as I do that if you own property, you have to have liability insurance in case someone hurts themselves on your property. And so the seller needs to call their insurance just to make sure that there's not an upcharge or that the, the insurance company is aware that now that they are not living in the property, but they're this buyer is living in the property before they close. So it's really a big deal that they actually um, keep uh, insurance on that property. The seller needs to keep the insurance and they need to notify their insurance company that that's happening. So what about, so I've had this happen several times. What happens whenever a buyer says, Hey, I don't really want to move into the property. Sandy, I, I just want to put my stuff in the garage. I mean, how does that work? I mean, in, in my experience, they're never just putting things in the garage. They're, you know, they're taking possession at that point, really. And I I hate to say that, but one of the very first real estate experiences I had um, that happened, and the buyer said that they just wanted to, we just want to move some things into the garage. This is the only day we can get everyone there to help us, and we just want to put things, we're, we're not going in. And um, my seller, I advised her against it. She was so sweet and so trusting and so wonderful. And she was just like, no, that's okay. They can move things in and that's fine. But later that evening, um, after the sun had gone down, she 
uh, drove past and of course there are the lights on and everybody you know you can see people walking through the house like they're there was there music I don't (laughs) you know I have no idea but she called me and I was like ah you know I'm not security I don't they're there I'm not gonna go right knock on the door and ask them to leave. This is what we're dealing with. And thankfully, it was only like a day or two prior to closing. It was super close to the close date. But, you know, so based on that experience, I never, ever, ever assume that they are just putting things in the garage. Right. And I think that's a great assumption. And I would recommend as the seller's representative that we have an early occupancy addendum and I've had, I've had this happen where the seller goes, well, I've got the garage door locked. I mean, not the, not the big door, but the door that goes right. into the house. I've got that locked and they can have the code to the garage and move stuff in. I'm like, well, what happens if your house burns down? Who's paying for the, the furniture that was destroyed? Right. Or, you know, what happens if they're in the garage and they trip over a shovel or whatever happens and they get hurt? Then you've got some liability. So again you really need to have this early occupancy in place. And the the early occupancy addendum covers that. It right. says flat out the buyer agrees to obtain and maintain insurance coverage right. because they don't have homeowners yet. It's not their house. Right. So, you know, I think that it's good that it that it spells it out, but honestly, if I were the seller, I would want to see proof of that. Right. Where's your policy? I'd like to see, you know, or right. at least speak with your agent. Yeah, I There's agree. There's so many things that well, yeah, scary. I agree. And it is, it, this is a scary situation, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, the seller's like, Hey, I want to sell my house. And if this is the only way to get my house sold, I'm going to let the buyer in early. And I don't, it's not a big deal. Or maybe they've had their house for rent for six months or a year or two, or maybe they've, it's an investment property and they've had it rented and now it's vacant and they're okay with the, the buyer going in early. Right. And so they've, they've experienced the rentals and it's not a big deal to them. And so it's fine. It can be done. Uh, there are potential of liabilities, but if you do things to protect yourself, that's the best way. And so you you should use this early occupancy, even if the buyer just says, I only need your garage or I only need this storage shed. Well, the storage shed is still on your property and you still need insurance and there could be damage. There could be a fire. There could be an accident. So it's better to have something in writing that takes care of those things. All right, well, let's switch gears a little bit to now where the buyer's buying the house and the seller, for whatever reason, says, you know what, I want, I don't want to move out of the house until I have my money in hand. Now, I live in Bella Vista, and Bella Vista traditionally was a retirement community, so I've experienced this a lot more than I have the early occupancy, where the buyer gets in early, where the seller says, hey, uh, I've... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pay to have my furniture moved out of this property until I've got the money for my house in hand. Then I'll do that. I just need three or four days. I just need a few days to get out of the property, but I want my money first. So we call that a delayed occupancy, or we call that you know taking the possession after closing. And so a delayed possession, you know, means that the seller stays in the home. So now the ownership has changed. It is now the buyer's property, and the seller is living in that property kind of as a, as a tenant. So let's talk about that a little bit. So again, we've got our 60 days or less. So um, 
how much rent? So is it the same kind of thing? Do you think, Sandy, where we actually, um, you know, would look at what the going rate for rent is or what? How does that normally work? No, this is uh, usually something that the um, if the if the seller asks for this, it's usually something that the buyer can kind of leverage on the front end and they can go, well, okay, we can do that, but let's maybe drop the price a little bit or let's, you know, they, they use it as a negotiating tool basically. So, yeah. So sometimes the buyer will, like Sandy said, use this as leverage to get a lower price and say, Hey, we'll give you a few days to get out, but Hey, we're offering you, you know, $5,000 below the list price. If you agree to that, then we'll give you as long as you want, or, you know, that happens. And and it's a great negotiating tool. And we highly recommend that you consider that because sometimes here's the, here's the thing that's different. Whenever you're in an early occupancy, the seller doesn't know how that buyer is going to take care of their property. However, if you're the buyer, you have seen the property usually multiple times before you get to closing and they've seen how the seller takes care of that property. Now, if the house is right. vacant, maybe they don't, they don't know, but if the house is vacant, then the seller would be doing a delayed occupancy. But if the seller's in the property, you view the property, you can kind of see if they are neat people, if they keep the house in good repair, if they do these things. Now, if you see a bunch of holes in the wall, you know, they don't really take care of the property, then that would be a concern. But if they've taken really good care of the property, so the buyer's like, yeah, I'm okay with them. I mean, they, they've taken good care of the property for 10 years. Why would wouldn't I be okay with them staying in a few days? And so a little bit different because they've actually can see evidence of how the seller maintains the, the property, but on the delayed occupancy, and let's shift over to that. There is an addendum on that and the possession, you can either choose a particular date uh, uh, and time, or you can just say, Hey, generally it's going to be no later than 1159 on this particular day. I like the first choice better where you actually say it's going to be this date and it's going to be by five o'clock PM and then seller shall pay to buyer the sum of, and then you've got a per day. Now, sometimes it's negotiated. In fact, more times it's negotiated and there's zero rent charge, but the buyer could say, we're going to charge you rent because the house is going to be ours. And so they could do that and then you could put the rent in there. But if it's zero, then there's zero. And then the same thing applies as we saw on the early occupancy where there would need to be insurance maintained on the property. But as soon as we change ownership, the buyer is now the new owner and has to have homeowner's insurance. And the seller is now a tenant and they need to have renter's insurance or something to cover their personal possession. So there's a little bit of a, a switch there. And what about utilities? Does the buyer put the utilities in their name if the seller is going to stay there? How does that happen, Cole? No, the se- it'd still be the se- in the seller's name right. as long they're, as they're there. Yeah, they, they've been paying for 10 years, and they're just going to continue to do that until they're ready to actually give that that over to the uh, the buyer. So anyway, that's really kind of it in a nutshell. Um, I I will tell you that if you can avoid this situation, I would, if you were a buyer or a seller, it's always cleaner to just, when you sign the papers and you pay for the house that you get the keys and you move in at that time, because now the house is yours. Or if you're the seller, that's a a very clean way to go. Anytime someone is in your property and you're not in the, in there, that means that you've got some liability issues and potential problems with that. So anyway, do you guys have anything else that you want to, yeah, Cole, go ahead. I just wanted to say, you know, if all possible, if you have to go through delayed occupancy or early occupancy, I would just make sure as a realtor and somebody's agent, if they hired me, 
to make sure to go over with your buyer or your seller, whoever you're representing, to make sure everything's in writing and everything's up front. That way, if there is something that comes up, there is no sticky situation because everything was in writing, signed by both the buyer and seller, and everybody's on the same page. So when I was in college, my I had a there was a vice president of college. I actually, when I graduated, I worked for this university that I lived in. I mean, well, I guess I did live there at the college, but anyway, that I um, attended, I graduated from. I actually worked for this university, and there was a vice president, and he he told me something I never forget. He says, "Knowledge." is power. And when you think about it, it's so true. If I know how to do something and you don't, that that gives me the edge. And so knowledge is power. And I will tell you, the more you know about this process, and that's why we're doing this podcast for buyers and sellers to have knowledge so that they can they can have some power when they go in to negotiate or when they do it. So always ask your realtor what you should do and and you know what do you think and get as much information as possible. Well guys great discussion today. Uh, if you're listening today and you think that you're ready to buy your next home or sell your home. We have got 23 experienced agents ready to help with your next real estate transaction. You can always reach out to us at info at hutchrealty.com or you can go to our website at hutchrealty.com where you can view every listing in Northwest Arkansas. All of those listings that Cole is going over at the beginning of the of the podcast. You can actually see all of those active listings on our website. If you are a seller, you can get a free automated home evaluation to give you kind of a ballpark figure of where your house might be worth. But we would always recommend you have an agent come out and give you a more detailed report. Hey, if you like this podcast, don't forget to leave us a positive review and come back next week when we will continue talking about Northwest Arkansas real estate. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.